Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm and have a live link at thetrumpet.com coming up on today's program. Take a look at some headlines, including some dangerous weather, uh, chances for some wildfires here in Oklahoma and other parts of the central U.S. Also going to take a look at the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today and uh, that interview recently with James Comey on ABC. That and plenty more coming up on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for being with us here on Trumpet Radio. We're at 101.3 KPCG. We are online at kpcg.fm, and there's a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. Today is Tuesday, 17th of April. Dwight Falk with you here today. Grant Turgeon has uh, the day off. And so lots to look at today, including a couple of uh, pretty neat events coming up here on the campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College. I wanted to mention this to the radio listeners. And these are uh, events coming up at Armstrong Auditorium this Thursday, April the 19th. That's only a few days away. A uh, brand new oratorio about Abraham. In this new oratorio by college music director Ryan Malone, the illustrious history of one of the Old Testament's most revered figures, Abraham, is brought to life in this modern, accessible, and grand chorale orchestral work. The score captures the tragedies and miracles, the complications and triumphs that test the faith of this devout patriarch, his noble wife, and their meek handmaiden. So I think many people, of course, are familiar with that history, and it's going to be set to music. So this is coming up. This Thursday, April the 19th at Armstrong Auditorium at 7.30 p.m. If you're in the uh, local listening area, hopefully you can uh, come out and view that. Of course, a lot of listeners online might not be able to get here for this particular performance, but still, uh, for those listening locally, uh, the great great opportunity to come out. You can get tickets by going to armstrongauditorium.org. And then there's one other event coming up this year. That is on Thursday, May the 10th, so just under a month away the world-famous Glenn Miller Orchestra, uh, is coming. The most popular and sought-after big band in the world today for both concert and swing dance engagements has unique jazz sound. The Glenn Miller Orchestra is considered to be one of the greatest bands of all time. Everybody knows the Glenn Miller Band, I think. Glenn Miller Orchestra. The orchestra was formed in 1956 and has been touring consistently since, playing an average of 300 live dates a year all around the world. And so that's coming to Armstrong Auditorium, the Glenn Miller Orchestra. That's going to be on Thursday, May the 10th. So uh, two uh, concerts coming up uh, on, in this concert season at Armstrong Auditorium. Uh, always a, a great time, a great evening. And so uh, check out uh, details about that, armstrongauditorium.org. You uh, can get tickets there and find out other information as well. So I thought you might want to know about that and wanted to pass that information along to you. And uh, as 
they always say, but it is very true in this case, not a bad seat in the house. So you can find a, a great seat and be really close to the uh, action. Headlines to take a look at today, including something we were mentioning yesterday, just the amazing amount of snow that has come here in April in some parts of the U.S. Snow records were toppled in South Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, so they kind of have their totals all brought in now. The National Weather Service says that 14.9 inches at the Minneapolis airport from Friday through Sunday set a record for the largest April snowstorm ever there. So when you're talking about the largest snowstorm ever in an area that gets a lot of snow, you know you got a lot of snow. Uh, they say it's also the snowiest April on record in the Twin Cities, and it's the snowiest start to a calendar year there, with 70.3 inches since January the 1st. You know, whenever you live in those areas, you're very excited for spring and summer to come in most cases because you're getting kind of tired of all the snow in the winter. And here they had just this massive record-setting snowfall in uh, this part of the year. In South Dakota, Sioux Falls set records for a single day in April at 13.7 inches. That was on Saturday. And a record April total of 24.9 inches. Huron and Mitchell set two-day record totals for April, 15.5 inches and 16.2 inches, respectively. And then in Wisconsin, the uh, same storm ranks as the all-time second-largest snowstorm in Green Bay, 23.5 inches and a record April total of more than 35 inches there. Massive snowfalls in April, and uh, they're having the those types of storms. Then down here... In Oklahoma area and in some parts here in the south and southwest, uh, very dry conditions and very windy conditions leading to some pretty serious fire, wildfire danger. This story says forecasters warn of rare, life-threatening wildfire weather. So it's not unusual to get wildfires in this part of the country. However, this is an exceptionally dangerous time with the high winds and dry conditions. Forecasters warned of dangerous, life-threatening wildfire conditions in parts of the southwest and southern plains today as firefighters in rural Oklahoma battled blazes that have killed at least two people. Uh, last Friday, there was uh, quite a few of us coming onto the campus here of Herbert W. Armstrong College for, a, for an activity, and it was very smoky. If you live in this area, uh, you know, Friday evening around 6.30, 7 o'clock, you probably noticed that everything looked different. The sky looked really strange here in central Oklahoma where the sun was, was uh, looked different coming through the smoke. And there was a lot of smoke in the air from a wildfire that wasn't right here, but it was a ways away and the wind was blowing the smoke back. And so it was, there was smoke and there was uh, pieces of ash falling. Really pretty surreal looking and everyone could smell it, of course. And so a really big fire, thankfully not right here in central Oklahoma where it's probably the most heavily populated, but still a uh, massive fire that wasn't too far away, and the wind and the sm was blowing it in and got all this smoke and everything. So uh, we've, we've been experiencing some of this, at least in terms of the smoke. Uh, gusty winds and low humidity in drought-stricken areas will create dangerous fire conditions in parts of Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas, according to the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma. National Weather Service meteorologist Doug Spieger said such conditions haven't been seen in at least a decade. 
So it is. I mean, it's interesting. You start hearing some of these weather reports, highest snow totals on record for April up north, and then here we're having wildfire conditions that haven't been seen in about a decade or so. So the weather's uh, the weather's doing a lot. It's very active. In Oklahoma, it says two people have died in the fires and nine others have been taken to hospitals for smoke inhalation or heat-related injuries, emergency management officials reported. The largest of the Oklahoma fires has burned more than 384 square miles, and that's near Leedy, about 110 miles northwest of Oklahoma City. Another fire has burned about 105 square miles near Woodward, about 20 miles north of the larger fire in Leedy. At the fire near Woodward, spokesman John Nichols said firefighters worked Monday to strengthen fire lines in preparation for the gusty weather today. And uh, being here today, I know, I mean, it's, it's extremely windy. I heard the wind pick up last night and, uh, again, quite windy today. The winds are coming, uh, he said, but the weather is supposed to be coming too, wet weather. And we're hoping the wet weather will arrive. So this weekend they're talking about maybe getting some substantial rain. It's always a little tricky when they try to forecast it seven days out or so. We're getting a little closer than that now. But uh, the National Weather Service said rain and thunderstorm chances will increase Thursday into Friday with strong to severe storms possible in southwestern Oklahoma and western north Texas. So we'll see if that happens. It would be nice. We could use the rain. It is dry. And, again, these are life-threatening wildfire conditions. Uh, the, the conditions are favorable with the high winds, uh, warm temperatures, mid-80s, uh, dry and um, once something gets going, it can really take off. So hopefully there won't be too much more of that. There's a few fires going, I guess, but hopefully it won't uh, increase too much. A year or two ago, I remember being here in the studio and uh, hearing uh, the sound of something moving in the air, you know, an air, airplane or helicopter or something. It was quite pronounced. And I looked out the window from the studio, and there was Black Hawk helicopters flying, and they were uh, being used to dump water on a nearby fire. It really wasn't that far away, and so that was quite a sight to see that. It's uh, a blessing to have that type of technology, to be able to fight fires in that way, but if you have to bring in uh, aircraft like that, you know, it's pretty serious. So that was a few years ago, and the conditions are even more dangerous here uh, today, not just in Oklahoma, but in surrounding states as well. So something to just be careful about. Obviously, not a time for uh, starting fires and uh, that sort of thing. A few other headlines to look at today. This one's uh, interesting to me on several levels, and I think will be to you as well. Uh, if you are a, a basketball fan or really any sports fan, you know that it seems lately anyway, some coaches and players like to get fairly political and uh, opine about politicians when I don't know that people are all that interested because their their profession is sports, but they want to talk about Politics, celebrities do the same, and others. And it's a very uh, divided time in the United States, a very political time. And one of the coaches that has been one of the more outspoken ones against the Trump administration is uh, Greg Popovich. He's the coach for the San Antonio Spurs. And some people, according to this report, uh, are getting fed up (laughs) with his comments. Fox News reports that longtime Spurs fans are turned off by Coach Greg Popovich's anti-Trump comments, according to this report. It says, Once dedicated fans of the NBA's seventh seed San Antonio Spurs are increasingly spurning the team 
because of its head coach's virulent anti-Trump comments. League veteran Greg Popovich, who is 69 years old, has been particularly outspoken with uh, or about the new White House, calling Trump a, quote, coward, a pathological liar, saying he is, quote, unfit intellectually, emotionally, and psychologically. And uh, what always strikes me about comments like that, no matter where they come from, is they a person may not agree with, say, the current president or you know, a politician or something. And it's one thing to not agree, but to to call somebody a coward, pathological liar, say they're unfit intellectually, emotionally, and psychologically. That, I mean, how, how would he know that? That's a, Those are pretty, um, pretty vicious comments to make. And I think all of us personally, we would appreciate at least a fair opportunity to do a job, a fair shake. <laughs> We'd like people to at least give us a chance. Um, we'd like to be able to make a mistake here and there and not have the whole world come down on us. Uh, and I think everybody would appreciate at least a little bit of space in that way instead of being attacked in this, in this, uh, this direct of a manner. So those, the comments are irritating some people and, uh, I can understand why. In March, uh, Coach Popovich questioned whether the Second Amendment is useful any longer. And said Trump, quote, brings out the dark side of human beings. I mean, <laughs> those are intense comments. I just don't know what authority he's speaking from. Like, how would he know that? Uh, those criticisms many of the Spurs fans took personally and did not care for. Uh, one Spurs ex-fan, Cassandra Casanova, who's 65, said, I am completely turned off. She told the Washington Post that. After all those years supporting the team, and now I just have no interest. Uh, Popovich really messed up, she said. And uh, if you know much about Greg Popovich and watching, he's a very good coach, and they've had a lot of success. And if you watch his, say, post-game interviews, or sometimes he'll do interviews during the game, he's kind of he's a funny guy, and uh, you know he's he has a real dry sort of sense of humor, and and the way he answers questions or doesn't answer them can be can be pretty humorous. But uh, he's taking those opportunities now to uh, talk about politics, and that's really turning some people off. Another one, another fan, former fan, uh, Bob Mullerin, said he insulted more than half of the Spurs fan base and no sign whatsoever of an apology. So I don't know if that would be exactly right, if it, you know, half of the fan base. But if you're looking at overall numbers, I mean, it's probably pretty close. Countries sort of split 50-50, I think. Most recent polls show that 51% of the country supports President Trump and the administration, and 49% do not. So it is just about right in the middle. Uh, Asked about the article by a reporter earlier this week, Popovich said he did not care (laughs) about its contents. He emphasized that the Spurs organization has never told him to temper his outspoken political beliefs. So it's interesting uh, just the fact that when the write-up was and, and the fans' opinion and what was said in this write-up in the Washington Post that Fox is reporting on was brought up to the coach. He said, well, I don't care. But you have to say, well, wouldn't that, isn't that a two-way street, though? I mean, if you don't care about their opinions, why should the fans care about his? I mean, that's at least, I think, a logical question. Because it's it's very easy to sit there and just throw out a person's opinion and then say, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks. Well... That's uh, 
not not a great way to uh, in in uh, endear the fan base. That's for sure. And and like some of the fans pointed out, I mean, there are different opinions out there. So it was, it's interesting to see um, reaction. This uh, write up says reaction across social media included harsh criticisms of the fans, quoted by the paper, including one article at a prominent liberal sports blog that called them fools for supporting the president at all. So. Uh, for those fans that said they they do support the president and they don't like all the political commentary, uh, some people are calling them fools. So very divisive, and uh, you see it even in the world of sports. But uh, I had wondered, hearing some of his comments, I had wondered if fans would start to get a little bit upset by that, and some are. So that's the chance they take, I guess, when they make their comments. Maybe people won't go to the won't go to the games and pay their salary anymore. I don't know. Uh, here's a, uh, a note that uh, is sort of an ongoing uh, story that we've talked about on and off over the last few years. Even though the economy is, in some ways, um, there may be some improvement there. There are still uh, problems. Uh, this is from LMT Online and it says more retailers are going bankrupt than ever. So if you've been to malls, you've seen this happen. Of course, some malls are still going pretty strong. A lot of outlet malls I've seen shut down. It says there were nine defaults in the sector, including Sears and Claire's, during the three months ended March 31st. Seems like Sears has been going out of business forever. I don't know what the <laughs> what the situation there is, uh, but uh, you see that sometimes with certain stores. They're always going out of business. They've been going out of business for years, so I don't know, but they're having problems. It says Tops Friendly Markets, which is a supermarket chain, and the Bonton. Bonton, I don't know how you say that, department store chain also filed for bankruptcy during the period. Uh, the only non-U.S. default that occurred in the first quarter was Britain-based Bright House Group, which sells rent-to-own refurbished sofas, televisions, and refrigerators. It seems like a bad deal to get into a rent-to-own refurbished sofa. Anyway, it says defaults on corporate debt from the retail sector in the past three months made up almost one-third of defaults by corporations in all industries. And they say the reasons are familiar. Consumer behavior is changing. Mall traffic is down, and competition from e-commerce continues to challenge brick-and-mortar store operations. Rising interest rates are also putting pressure on the more highly leveraged retailers and merchants. So people like to go online, do their shopping online, uh, more than, say, going to the old-fashioned mall and um, because of that, the a uh, lot of them are going out of business. A lot of the stores that occupy those malls. So it's hard. I don't know. Uh, there's a they're doing a lot of construction here locally on one of our malls, and I don't know exactly what they're building, but they're they're adding on quite a bit of it. So they must they must think they've got something to uh, to offer, and that maybe people want to come out there. But uh, there's a lot of change. One of the things that used to draw people to malls was movie theaters, and uh, that probably still is the case. But now, a lot of times, you, people just use Netflix or something, and they can, or iTunes or whatever, and they can just watch movies at home in the comfort of their own home. And people usually have big screens and nice little sound systems and all of that. So maybe there's no reason to go out to the theaters as much as there used to be. Uh, but anyway, that used to be a big draw. So I don't know if they'll come up with something new to get people into those malls or if it's just a, a thing of the past. So uh, anyway, tough time for retailers here in the U.S. Here's an interesting story about Russia and uh, 
it's interesting from the standpoint of appreciating having freedom of speech in the U.S., uh, at least uh, supposedly. And we still do. I mean, that's, you know, though, though the, the, uh, the parameters for that are tightening all the time, but uh, still people are free to, to uh, have programs and speak and so forth to, to a certain extent. But Russia is different. They, uh, if you speak out in a way that the government doesn't appreciate, you, there's, a, there's a good likelihood that you won't be doing much uh, broadcasting or you maybe not, won't be around at all. And this is uh, from the independent.co.uk. It says, a Russian investigative journalist dies after mysterious fall from fourth floor window. Stories like this come out of Russia often. And uh, I had a book that I read a while back about Vladimir Putin. And, and the author of it was, was talking there somewhat about a lot of the uh, journalists that have disappeared lately. And, of course, it's a somewhat of a tight community, I guess. They know each other on some level. And uh, so they know when people are disappearing or when TV networks were shut down or sort of taken over and uh, really becoming a, a mouthpiece for the government. But this uh, this is another journalist that has died mysteriously. A prominent regional journalist investigating crime, politics, and war in Syria has died following a fall from a window of his fourth-floor apartment in uh, Yekaterinburg, Russia's fourth-largest city. Never heard of that city. <laughs> the fourth-largest in Russia. i got to brush up on my geography. It says Maxim... Borodin, 32, was found by neighbors on the ground outside his apartment on Friday. He died in the hospital two days later without ever regaining consciousness. Mr. Borodin was well known for delving into that city's criminal underworld. He was among those who broke the story of unreported deaths in Kremlin's shadow armies fighting in Syria. He also published investigations into Russia's religious right, and the violent protests around Matilda, a supposedly blasphemous film depicting a love affair between Tsar Nicholas II and a young ballerina. As one of only few investigative voices in the region, Mr. Borden often felt the brunt of official and criminal displeasure. Just two weeks ago, he was in intensive care with a major head injury, and in October, he was hit over the head with a metal pipe that attack he linked to his work covering the Matilda protests. So this fellow's been uh, really putting his life on the line with some of his reporting, and he's suffered a, a few attacks, and now he has died. Uh, I don't think he just accidentally fell out of his window. It could have happened, but uh, all signs point to maybe something a little more intentional. Of course, police said there was no signs of forced entry into his apartment. <laughs> you know, Russian police, obviously. And the door was locked from the inside. But friends and colleagues have said they are suspicious of the circumstances surrounding his death. Yep, I think they have reason to be suspicious. I mean, boy, how would you like to be in a country like that where you can't, you can't uh, investigate with the journalism? At least not for long. Or you end up being attacked, you end up being shoved out of a window, you know, uh, things like that. Now, of course, don't know exactly if he was shoved out of the window. Maybe he wasn't. Could be an accident. But uh, there's been a lot of these types of accidents in Russia, uh, particularly since Vladimir Putin came into office. And that's pretty well documented. I mean, even recently over in the U.K., a former spy was killed. 
right? Uh, or I, actually, I can't remember if he totally died or if he uh, was just uh, on the on the cusp of death. But he was a, he was uh, poisoned, and so a lot of those things have happened to where you know Russia does have a certain reach there, certainly within their own country, and uh, and you see journalists disappearing or being you know falling out of a window, and uh, so it's 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 really uh, quite an interesting. Uh, situation over there in Russia, and you need to know more about what's happening in Russia and why it's happening in Russia, and you can find that at thetrumpet.com. There is some really good write-ups about Russia, about Vladimir Putin, and uh, about uh, just what you can expect to see happen over there uh, in um, in Russia. So, uh, interesting story coming out there. Russian investigative journalist dies after mysterious fall from fourth floor window. And uh, there's been plenty of stories like that um, coming out of Russia over the last few years. Here's an interesting one I thought was kind of a, a, a neat idea and uh, something that that is sort of old-fashioned, I guess, in today's world. But um, this is out of Boston College. Uh, and a lot of times we'll highlight some stories from the universities where they're just doing some really pretty outlandish things. But in this case, this is actually a pretty good idea. Uh, this is from Fox News. It says, Boston College professor offers extra credit for students to go on dates. You remember what a date is, right? It's a, this uh, sort of uh, archaic event <laughs> where uh, two people would go out and maybe have a conversation or take a walk or do something like that and then uh, just get to know each other. And that doesn't happen so much anymore. And this one, uh, Boston College professor is trying to bring it back a little bit. A Boston College philosophy professor known as the Dating Professor (laughs) offers extra credit to her students who uh, ask someone out on a date. Go out on that said date and have no physical contact. Can you imagine something like that? That would be uh, pretty rare in a lot of cases today. Says the Washington Post reported on Monday that Professor Carrie Cronin said she came up with the idea to combat this what they call hookup culture, where people are just looking for uh, physical relationships and not much else, uh, that has gotten popular on campuses, she said. She also said that she learned that many of her seniors had never been on a date. They had never been on a date. And I don't, I don't think it's because they're not involved with people, but I, but I just they haven't been on dates in the sense of, like she says, going out and not having physical contact. Seniors in college. So that's really interesting. You know, it's interesting, too, because when people come out of college, they would say, well, I feel like I got educated. I'm educated now. I have a college degree or experience. But but it's interesting because they, they have no education, in some cases, in terms of just dating, just learning how to date somebody. And, of course, at Armstrong College here where we're broadcasting from, there's the emphasis is put on learning how to live in a godly fashion. And then after that come the other things, come the career and so forth. So, so, so at a lot of these colleges, people get to be seniors in college and they've never even been on a date. So that's not much of an education, at least in, far of, uh, in terms of how to live. And uh, this write-up says, perhaps campus life lends itself to fewer meaningful relationships. It doesn't have to, but that's, that's the way it's, it is, I think. 
This professor, Cronin, points out that most students may not want to commit. The article points out that the median age men and women get married in the U.S. is 29 and a half years and 27.4, respectively. Many students, she said, focus on career goals. So they are focusing on career goals, but they're not. It's not like they're being abstinent either. I mean, they are in a lot of cases involved with somebody, but they just aren't dating as as it uh, used to be defined. She said, our culture focuses on sex, not necessarily on, quote, the foibles and the hard work and the joys and the despair of just casual dating. (laughs) Uh, The rules for the assignment include asking the person out in person, so you can't text or send an email or even call. You have to actually ask them out in person. And uh, here's the key part of the assignment. The uh, recipient has to know it's a date. Cronin tells her students not to worry about rejection, just move on. She said that leads to thicker skin. So it can be nerve-wracking to go up and ask somebody out on a date, especially if you're not sure if they'd say yes or not, Um, you know, because they could say no, and then you'd feel bad about yourself. But uh, she said it helps lead to thicker skin, which is true. So I think that's a neat assignment. I hope they I hope they uh, take her up on it. But it is pretty foreign today for people to do that, I think, based upon this report. And I think just looking at society in general, um, people are very much uh, interested in, in having some sort of uh, passing relationship, but they're not interested in actual dating. So that's at Boston College. We'll see if that uh, gets any traction or not. They can get uh, extra credit for going on a date. The Trumpet Daily Radio Show today talks quite a bit about uh, this uh, interview that ABC had with uh, James Comey, former FBI director. And uh, so you need to listen to that program. Yesterday's and today's, they, they, they're kind of uh, two of the same, two parts of the same show, but, but uh, different aspects of it. And so really important to uh, listen to that and get the context of uh what's important about this interview and a related write-up to that topic is this it says abc makes unusual decision to release all of comey talk so they released it all uh the uh um uh transcript so it's all out there and of course anytime they do an interview with somebody there's probably a lot more material and they don't use all of it so which a lot of times, you know, they can kind of, they can kind of bend the interview uh, in the way that it's presented based upon what they play and what they don't play on television, and make it seem kind of one way or the other, which is, I think, uh, journalists are somewhat infamous for. But they decided to release everything here. It says before airing George Stephanopoulos's interview with former FBI Director James Comey, ABC News made the unusual decision of releasing a full transcript of its nearly five-hour talk, including all the material that was not included in the broadcast. That was a long talk, five hours. Sit down and have a little uh, interview. ABC News President James Goldston said in an interview Monday that it was an important example of transparency and that it had paid off with the transcript becoming by far the most popular item on ABC News' website. So that transcript might be longer than Comey's book. I'm not sure, but uh, it's a long one if you want to look through it. And they they got what they wanted, which was a lot of traffic to their uh, website. Comey's interview, the first 
on the media tour to promote his book, A Higher Loyalty, uh, was seen by 9.8 million viewers on Sunday night, according to Nielsen. And that's a pretty good number for the network, which reached 3.6 million viewers in the same time slot the week before with the drama Deception. <laughs> well, that I mean, it is interesting. You do have to admit that the Comey interview is in the time slot of a show that's called Deception. I mean, I think it, that is interesting because there's a lot of things that were said that were pretty deceiving, especially if you listen to the Trumpet Daily Radio Show and get all the context there. So maybe that was... Uh, I'm sure that was uh, not intentional, but boy, how ironic. They say it was less than half of the 22 million people who watched the adult film star Stormy Daniels talk on 60 Minutes last month about her alleged affair with President Donald Trump, which he denies. Both of these interviews, a lot of talk, and it kind of comes down to, okay, and what's the, you know, what's the point? What are we getting at here? In particular, probably this Comey one, because, uh, again, there's just a lot of, allegations, accusations, uh, a lot of just his impressions of things. And he talks about needing, you need strong evidence. Well, I don't, I don't think he presented any evidence. There's some quotes played in the Trump Daily Radio Show, some audio clips, where he talks about how uh, he could tell when the president, you know, his mood changed or he, he didn't like him anymore or something based upon just body language or whatever. So I don't, I don't know that that would stand up in the court of law if it was actual law there. And even so, I don't know that any of that's wrong, uh, you know, or broke any laws or anything, but that he, he talks a lot about his perceptions and so forth. Um, it, it says, Comey probably would have drawn more viewers if he gave his first interview to 60 Minutes. The CBS show reached 10.4 million people on Sunday. It's more of a popular program. But Comey reportedly sought more time on the air for his first interview, and ABC offered the full hour Trump was apparently one of his viewers, at least for a little bit, as Comey described his contacts with the president and said Trump lacked the moral authority to be president. The moral authority to be president? I don't even understand exactly what that would mean, um, the moral authority to be president. Uh, and how would he know? That's just it's, it, it's like those quotes that were thrown out there by the Spurs coach and other people where they're just, they, they know, they absolutely know this person is no good, they're terrible, they have no credibility, know this, know that. And it's one human talking about another human being. You know, and I just think about Christ when the, they brought the woman that was caught in adultery, and he said, okay, well, which one of you without sins, you know, cast the first stone at him or at her? And, and they didn't. Because and they they knew, of course, and Christ knew too that they had plenty of sins of their own. So, not that uh, that's acceptable, and we should look at the the morality of leaders and so forth. But for one person to sit there and just absolutely uh, lambast another one as being worthless, uh, it's just the height of arrogance. It's amazing. But uh, anyway, the show reached uh, had the full he had the full hour. And uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said Trump had seen bits and pieces of the program. So he watched a little bit, apparently. And Sanders said, we didn't learn anything new. Well, I don't think anybody learned anything new other than James Comey's opinion on things, which I think was pretty clear anyway. It says, Comey is on a media tour to promote his book that will include interviews by Jake Tapper of CNN, Judy Woodruff of PBS, Rachel Maddow of MSNBC, Uh, That'll be interesting. Brett Baer of Fox News Channel and appearances on Stephen Colbert's late night show. 
Oh boy, the View and a CNN town hall. So he's uh, he's got quite a few things lined up there. I think the one on Fox will be somewhat interesting. Maybe they'll at least try to be get to the heart of a few more things. They're at least somewhat more balanced. Uh, and the other ones are just, of course, completely liberal. So I'm sure they'll just congratulate him on, on his book. But Stephanopoulos was the first. It says the uh, network released the full transcript of its interview with Comey when the show began airing, which, again, is very unusual to do that. Goldstone said the decision to post the transcript was made after it was clear the network didn't have enough time to broadcast all of the material from the interview. He said, we thought we had an obligation to put everything out there and let people look at it and decide. He said it's part of a mo- it's part of modern journalism. Um, yeah, well, but I would have to think they put everything out there because they agree with it. If something was said that they didn't agree with, I don't think they would put it out there. You know, they're not they're not as transparent as they're trying to make it out to be. There's plenty of things they don't release. You know, you could you could sit down you could sit down and have a five hour interview with somebody and say, well, we're going to release it all for transparency. But if you ask them leading questions or you don't ask them the tough questions, uh, and the and the questions that you do ask are leading to a conclusion you already want to come to, well, what difference does it make if it's five hours, ten hours, twenty hours? If you're not getting to the heart of the matter or the truth about things. Well, who cares how long it is and how much is released? It's not transparency to release everything. It would be transparency to be, you know, honest about things. And I don't think that's happening here. And the Trump Daily points that out again. So I'm just highlighting this so you go and listen to that program, which has all of the the in-depth details about it. Uh, A lot of different comments about this particular article. One of the comments I thought was interesting, it says, uh, this person says, so the man who ran interference for the Clinton, uh, well, he calls him crime cartel, is interviewed by one of the cartel's lieutenants, and it is broadcast on a Clinton propaganda network. So, again, that's maybe a little bit <laughs> a little bit rough. I don't know. But true enough, they're all sort of in cahoots. It's like they're all they all have the same leanings. And they're interviewing each other or, or, or Stephanopoulos is interviewing Comey. They both have the same leanings. And they're on a very liberal uh, network. So what do you think the result's going to be? What direction do you think it's going to go? It's obvious. It's a setup uh, it, to get to some sort of conclusion that they're already predetermined in their minds. So it's real, there's a lot there. But again, if you listen to the Trumpet Daily Radio Show from yesterday and today, uh, Trumpet, Radio, Trumpet Daily uh, Radio Show host Stephen Fleury gets into the heart of it and gives you a really good insight into what's going on and kind of picks through all the information to get the choice, the choice parts there that are important. So make sure you listen for those programs coming up here in just a bit on KPCG. And again, people have different schedules. If you can't catch it live or catch a replay because you're, you're working or something, uh, make sure you go back and you can download the archive podcast, listen to it at your leisure, break it up as you can. Uh, but really important to listen to that because of uh, how important it is uh, for this uh, country, for the United States. You're listening to Trump Radio Live here on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at thetrumpet.com. If you would like to uh, follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcgfm. And if you'd like to send any comments in, we appreciate those. You can send those to uh, comments at kpcg.fm, and uh, we'll look at all those. We, we appreciate getting those from you. Uh, there's a uh, great, great story today on thetrumpet.com. It's the top story, 
And it is this, also from uh, Stephen Flurry. The Zuckerberg hearings provide no solutions. You remember the Zuckerberg hearings? As fast as the news cycle uh, flips over, it seems like uh, this was a long time ago. It was only last week, I guess. And they wanted to talk to uh, Zuckerberg about uh, Facebook and data and uh, who's getting the data and where does the data go and what's it being used for and so on and so forth. Uh, And this write-up focuses on the fact that uh, technology is emotionally damaging our young people and nobody knows how to stop it. There's plenty of reports out there about the problems that young people are having, and um, they've they've looked at suicide rates, and the suicide rates have increased along with depression and all of those things. And it corresponds to the rise in the uh, technology. And they don't know, you know, I mean, they, I think it's pretty obvious there's some relationship between the two. They're looking at raw data, trying to come to conclusions um, but there's no doubt that the depression in young people and the difficulties young people are having in particular, because they're probably the highest users of the, the technology, and the rise in the technology, those they rise together. So, And, and we've all seen it. You've seen it uh, anywhere you go. You'll see young people on phones and, and uh, smartphones and very much focused in on that. I go to, you go to the grocery store and you see kids that aren't, can't even walk yet playing, uh, watching movies or, or playing with something on a smart device and, you know, keeps them occupied. I mean, I'm not saying it's always wrong or whatever, but at the same time, you look at the numbers of things in terms of depression and, and other problems that young people are having, uh, just basic development. Um, it looks like there's some issues there. And so this write-up focuses a lot on this uh, topic. It says the main point of the hearings was to decide what government regulations are needed for social media platforms like Facebook? Zuckerberg repeatedly talked about, quote, the community that Facebook has created and that they want to make it safe. But everyone has a different definition of what safe is. Everyone has different ideas on what should be allowed as free speech. And we've seen this lately, too, whether it's Facebook or YouTube. Some people are banned. Some people are not banned. Some content is filtered. Some is not. These companies have political leanings. It's it's an interesting time. And everyone, as it says, has a different definition of what safe is or what should be free speech. Everyone has different ideas on what data Facebook should be allowed to collect, share, or sell. Everyone has different ideas on who should police social media and who should have the final say. Lots of different ideas. No solutions. The write-up says, Zuckerberg says, his team is working on solutions. And uh, whether or not that is true remains to be seen. Many members of Congress are concerned about what Facebook is doing with people's data. But if the government gets involved in medals with Facebook, it won't have the solutions to the problems either. The government's sort of being looked at in some sectors like they're the ultimate solution. Well, government will solve it. You know, and really, there's a new Key of David program coming out this weekend that talks about the religion of Washington and Lincoln. And plenty of quotes in there about how they knew, they understood that the Constitution only works with a religious people and a moral people and people that have some law governing their path and some form of restraint against abusing freedom. 
And ultimately, that would be religion and morality. That's what they said. That's directly from the Founding Fathers. So when you get rid of religion and morality, but you have the freedom to do a lot of things, what happens? You end up with a lot of serious problems. And that's that's even like with this situation here with uh, the technology. They don't have a solution for it. And the reason they don't have a solution for it is because it's a lot of different people's opinions, but there's no ultimate law that they're looking at. And if a government gets in control of something like that or if they regulate it, well, they typically regulate it to their favor. You know, Russia's in charge of their media. They're in charge of things over there because they use it for their favor. And and then if you're against that, you end up falling out of a four-story window, as we talked about uh, earlier. So uh, no solutions to what do you do, how do you properly use this technology. And he says that our, on our Trump a Daily Radio show over the last several years, we've talked a lot about the young people in America. Our young people are suffering because of broken families, the broken educational system, and because so many of them are addicted to technology and social media. You know, and I think people would readily admit that they are addicted. If there's somebody that is on it all the time and says, I'm not addicted, a young person, you know, I'd say, well, take it away from them and see what happens. I bet they have a problem. I bet they want it back. It says, he says, uh, but no one seems to know what to do to stop it. Social media sites certainly don't want to stop it, and that's where they get their revenue from after all. So they're making lots of money. They're not poor, and they're making money off of people using their products. So as much as they're talking about making it safe and so on and so forth, they're making money at the end of the day. And it's it's uh, even some people that were fundamental in developing some of these different social media platforms or devices say, I won't let my kids use it because I know what it does. And there's reports about how they've made apps after the same psychology they use to make uh, uh, different uh, gambling uh, machines, uh, one arm bandits, I guess they call them, or, or I think that's what they're called. But anyway, I don't gamble. <laughs> but I, you know what I'm talking about, the slot machines. I think that's, a, yeah, slot machines. And uh, so anyway, there's a certain psychology behind it. It gets people interested. It gets them hooked, and they can't stop doing it, can't stop playing the slot machines. And then same thing happens with these uh, apps. They, they can't stop using them because they, they've hooked people uh, to get their time and their attention because that's where the money is. So it's a really interesting write-up. That's just a little bit of a highlight. Make sure you read that at thetrumpet.com. The Zuckerberg hearings provide no solutions. Couldn't be more relevant than right now. It's in the news. Uh, you're probably using a lot of those devices and platforms. Many people are. And so not that you can't use it, but at the same time, you have to think about how to use it and how to have your kids use it if they do. Uh, to uh, finish today, I wanted to just give you this uh, write-up. that It might be helpful. It's from Indy100.com, and it says 12 things you might want to delete from your Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, there's 12 things you might want to delete to keep your account, but better protect your privacy. So some people, a lot of people want to keep their accounts, they like to use it, but they're worried about privacy. So here's 12 things you might want to delete from your Facebook page if you want to keep using it, but you'd like to protect your privacy a little bit better. Uh, number one, they say you should delete your birthday. Your birthday is one part of an important puzzle, which also includes your name and address, with which people can more easily access your bank account and personal details. The more information you know somebody shares, the more they share. It's out there and people can get it. And anytime you sign up for something online or you open an account or something, they ask for your birthday, uh, at least in my experience. So if everyone just knows your birthday and you're just 
given it to the world, um, they may take it and use it. They say another thing you might want to delete from your Facebook page to protect yourself is your phone number. The best case scenario here is acquiring a polite admirer. (laughs) That's your best case uh, situation. Worst case scenario is a stalker who calls you incessantly. You know, I don't, why would people put their phone numbers on there? That seems like a bad idea, but I guess some people are. Uh, Another thing you might want to delete from your Facebook page for better security is most of your quote-unquote friends. Oxford psychology professor Robin Dunbar theorized that humans can maintain approximately 150 stable relationships. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that's the thought that's out there. After looking at 3,375 Facebook users, Dunbar found that of their Facebook friends, 4.1 were considered dependable and 13.6 exhibited sympathy during an emotional crisis. Getting rid of the deadwood could make for a healthier interaction with social media. That's what they say. But there again, that's why people, that's one of the things people covet on Facebook is a lot of friends. So I don't know. I don't know if people would do that. Uh, Another thing you might want to delete from your Facebook page to protect your privacy is photographs of your child or young family member. Victoria Nash, acting director of Oxford Internet Institute, posed a really good question on this subject, and it has to do with consent. What type of information would children want to see about themselves online at a later date? Previous generations never needed to consider this. But the advent of the Internet and social media has given the question more importance. So even if you just think about it from that standpoint, you know how it is. Maybe your parents have some pictures of you when you were a kid and they're not the best or they're, you know, it was an odd time in life, an awkward time in life. You don't like it when those get brought out. Well, you know, if stuff's online, it's already out there. So that could be attached to you for uh, a long time, not to mention the safety concerns of just people having pictures of kids that maybe they shouldn't be having. Uh, they say another thing you might want to delete from Facebook is uh, your young family member goes to school. According to the NSPGC, the number of recorded sexual offenses has increased over the last year. Uh, we talked about this on Trumpet Hour last week. The report says police recorded 36,429 sexual offenses against children in the UK only. In 2013-2014, in England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, police recorded the highest number of sexual offenses against children in the past decade. So it's it's growing. And the last thing they say you want to give an opportunity for a sex offender is to find out where your child attends school. Don't put that information on Facebook, they say, because people are looking for it, and in a lot of cases, with bad intent. Another thing you might want to delete from Facebook to protect your privacy and your security is location services. Uh, It's only available on Android and iPhones. In 2015, TechCrunch reported that over 500 million users accessed Facebook solely from their mobile phone, which means that the same number has the potential to broadcast their location online. And anyone who may or may not wish you harm uh, now knows where you are. They know where you are. Uh, they know where your kids are if, if they're using it in that way. Uh, and, and they know if you're home or not. And so there's a lot of security risk there. So location services. A couple more here or a few more here. Things that may be helpful if you're using Facebook but you may want to delete for your safety is uh, your manager. It says this one is a classic. Facebook is a social media platform, and to some degree your interactions ought to be relaxed. 
but the CEO of your company can access your wall, and they have access to every single one of your uh, status updates. And yes, that includes uh, the one if you're complaining about work. <laughs> uh, they say you can set your preferences to exclude your CEO from certain updates and uh, so there are some people that maybe you don't want to see your updates. Now, again, you could avoid it all by just not getting involved or not posting things like that. But uh, it might be something to think about for some. Uh, another one, stop tagging your location. It says people forget the fact that tagging your location at home actually gives away your address. Whenever you tag your location, you've tagged your location. People know where you are and they know uh you know, what's going on. Number nine here, this is 12 things you might want to delete from Facebook to protect your privacy, is uh, number nine, when you were uh, going on a holiday, when and where you're going. According to financial website, this is money. Travelers who are burglared while they are on holiday may not get their insurance claim accepted if they posted their holiday plans on their social media accounts. Wouldn't that be a rude surprise to find out that you couldn't be reimbursed because you gave the information out on your social media account. Might be worth checking into that if uh, you find yourself in that position. Number 10, they say your relationship status. You might want to delete that from Facebook. Um, don't do it on Facebook, they say, if you want to talk about your your relationships. It may not work out, and uh, the consequence in a relationship to single status change will make you feel worse than you already do. So I don't know how important that one is, but uh, again, it's something they say you might want to delete. Uh, this is one obviously you want to delete from Facebook, your credit card details, obviously, but it happens, right? People put things up. And uh, finally, they say one thing you might want to delete from your Facebook account to protect yourself is boarding pass pictures. Taking a photo of your boarding pass is often a way to brag about your holiday. They say, but don't be silly. The barcode on your boarding pass is unique to you and can be used to find the information you gave to the flight company. Don't take a picture of your boarding pass and put it on Facebook because people can access that information and then have a lot more information about you than you want them to have. So those are some things that may be a tip, uh, may be helpful because a lot of people like to use Facebook, and there's some benefits to it, sure. But you have to protect yourself and your family if you want to use it. Um, those are 12 things you might want to delete from your Facebook page. You can find that list at Indy100.com if uh, you want to go back over that and uh, see it again. That's all the time we have for today here on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program. The Trumpet Daily Radio Show also is coming up here in just a bit. For myself, Dwight Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.